Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. The pandemic has reinforced the importance of collaboration. At Facebook, we've helped governments in more than 150 countries communicate public health messaging by providing more than £85 million in free advertising and training. The UK government and others around the world are using these free Facebook and Instagram ads to share authoritative multilingual COVID-19 information. Get the full story at about.fb.com forward slash actions forward slash UK. What we really need to do is create a powerful sense of dread. See, the longer the note, the more dread. Hello and welcome to Curse These Metal Hands, a peep show podcast as part of the review from the Terrace Podcast Network. I am your host, Tony Anderson, and today I am joined by Big Mad Andy Harrow. Hiya. Hello there. And the rather dashing man who is recently described in a Vice article as the amusing host of A View from the Terrace, Craig G. Telfer. I don't know about amusing, but I can say I am the host of A View from the Terrace. Yes. <laughs> yes. Great but to be here, Tony. Great to see you great both. Great stuff. This is a wonderful moment. I'm really delighted to be sort of doing this. This is something we've spoke about for quite a few months as we're building up to this sort of new concept, a new network for for the Terrace podcast about moving into pop culture. We we all enjoyed ourselves over the lockdown when we were doing those Saturday podcasts. I know everyone got involved and it seemed to be relatively well received from our original listenership. So we hope people will still want to get involved and listen to us talk about movies, music, TV, uh, and hopefully we might even gather some some new listeners who, who aren't maybe into our usual chat about Scottish football and Stenhouse Muir and, and Wraith Rovers, if you like. Um, so we've chosen Peep Show as our first TV show to deep dive in. I thought this was quite an easy choice. This uh, We're all men, mainly our 30-somethings, so this is arguably the, the sitcom of, comedy sitcom anyway, of, of our generation. It started in 2003 and is written by Jesse Armstrong and Sam Bain. And if I get my way, uh, we hopefully will go into some more of the content that they've created over the years 
is I would be very keen to talk about maybe the thick of it or succession, but we'll have to wait and see what the what the big bad boss, Mr. Fowler, says about that, of course. Uh, you're probably wondering that I do have the sort of amusing host of A View from the Terrace here and wonder why on earth you have a professional there. Is some pleb hosting this show. But the reason for that is... Telford, uh, we spoke at length about this before and you've mentioned so many times that this is a, arguably one of the most important shows to you. I've heard you refer to it as world-class television on numerous occasions. And I thought I would maybe give you, not hosting, would give you more room to show your encyclopedic knowledge. What's your, what was your relationship with the show? How, when, did you, when did you first see it? I think I would have seen it, it would have been broadcast on Channel 4 late at night. I think on, on Fridays. That, that, I think, I'm sure that, that that's where you first come across it. And I think you've touched on it, Tony. It's, it's got a very unique feel to it. You know, they, I, I can't, certainly can't remember any other comedies like it where there's that, that, the inner monologues from the characters, the, the effectively you're seeing things from, from uh, the two, character, two main characters' point of view. And on the fact, it's just very, very funny. You see, the only comedy I would compare this to in terms of longevity is perhaps It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which maintained a very high standard right from the beginning. I think maybe dipped off a wee bit towards the end, but I don't think that ever happened with Peep Show. I think it's remarkable for a show to have started in 2003 and to have gone to, what was it, like 2015, 2016? 2015 was when the season nine was, yeah. 2015 when it finished up. And for there not to be a single bad series or bad episode. There are some episodes that are better than others, but there's there's nothing in there that you would say is, is bad. I think at the very worst Peep Show episode, you're going to give it like a, a seven and a half out of 10, an eight out of 10. And I think that you, you when you say it's the comedy of our generation, you, you, you're absolutely right. It's Mark Corrigan is perhaps, I mean, obviously a, a very cruel and very exaggerated character, I think there is so much of Mark Corrigan, the fears, the anxieties, the, the hang-ups, the, the frustrations, everything that, 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 that Mark, there'll be a little bit of Mark Corrigan in everyone. I know it's, a very, it's probably a more masculine comedy given the fact that it's from, from two main characters, but that, that's, that's why I think that there'll be something in this that everyone can identify with. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I mean, there's hardly, there's, in talking of that consistency, you would find that there's barely a bad scene uh, in Peep Show for me. Like watching it back, uh, you never get bored. You never switch off. You're interested in every part. Uh, and Andy, what I was going to ask you, what was, what was your relationship with the show? When, when, when did you first watch it? So I think I missed the first series. I probably came in about series two or three. Uh, and it was, but again, I was at, I was at uni. Um, and it's kind of followed all through then. And it was, it's funny, me and my, my best mate, kind of, which is quite terrifyingly now when you look back and it, used to kind of compare ourselves to, to Mark and Jez. And I was a kind of, <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, you, you had a bit of each of them in you. So that's why they were, they were kind of relatable, even though when you look back at it now, they're, they're both a bit psychotic. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, it was, they were, you know, at uni, I was a, kind of terrible with women not able to chat to any a bit sort of hopeless in general uh, and um my, my mates were all were all about the same basically so it was it was quite nice watching a show where uh, the main characters were having the same types of trouble as you they maybe went about it in sort of worse in different ways than uh, than we did thankfully but um 
But yeah, it was it was uh, it, it was something quite therapeutic, I think, about watching people being even more uh, feeling even more miserably with women than than we were. I think that was probably the the hook to it at the time. But um, but also there was just that kind of it was a strange thing because they were they were two guys who weren't working put together but weren't really mates, you know, in any other sort of walk of life. They wouldn't really be friends, but somehow they ended up being best friends because they had nobody else. And there was a wee bit about that, about university as well, isn't there, where <laughs> you, kind of end, you kind of end up being friends with people that as soon as uni finishes, you never see them again. And uh, that probably struck a bit of a chord at the Yeah, because they have like a complete, uh, it's almost like it's a complete marriage of convenience for, yeah. for each of the characters. Like for Jeremy, it's more of a practical sense. He needs somewhere to live. He needs somewhere. He needs the bills to be paid, uh, and he needs sort of to get away from himself. Mark sort of saves him from himself. He would go down the same route as Superhands, if you like, uh, and it would be party, party, party all the time. And sort of Mark brings some sort of sensibility and calm to his life. Well, as Mark on the other side, Jeremy forces him to do things that Mark probably doesn't ever really want to do, but he accepts that society forces him to to do these things and you see that with his his love life you never know really who mark likes at any point he has little moments where he likes some characters another but it always just seems to be it's all forced in and it's not a real thought of his and when he ever goes deeper with people he he never really seems to really click with them and um, guys what did you think of the of the well for me actually my, my relationship uh, with the show if you like i started that again it was 2003 so i was just leaving leaving high school really and my my friends my mate's stepdad had a flat in stenhouse drive and we sort of just had a revolving cast sort of living there so three people would live there at a time over a few months and then as the world got shit for one person they probably had to move out because they couldn't afford it anymore <laughs> someone else would uh, sort of step in but as you can imagine, that was like fright the weekends. Everyone would pile around to this, to this flat. And uh, so it was our first introduction to things like cannabis and all the likes of that. And we'd all get, get round and uh, get stoned and watch it. And this was sort of like one of the first shows that we uh, all as a group sort of watched. So it was it's quite lovely looking back, really. I mean, it was like my whole friendship group sort of all sort of got together and watched it from the start. And we almost had that as even as we got older, we all moved away from each other. But people often got together on a Friday night, even as we got older, to to watch that show. So it's it's really important to me and sort of my wider friendship group. I, th- I think as well, Tony. One of the other things that, that where people's longevity comes in from, I think streaming plays a big part in that mm-hmm. because. I don't know about you guys, but when I go to my bed at night, I, I need to have something on in the background. I need to just, just have a, a voice there as, as I fall asleep. And Peep Show, given that was about 22 minutes an episode, you can absolutely, mm-hmm. I mean, to, we, we, this podcast is about series one, and we, we can watch that in about, what, a couple of hours? Yeah. Like, just, just over a couple of hours. And and so I think that's something that, that, that works in its favor as well, that you can watch it. It's very, very easy to watch, and it's, the thing is, it's always funny. You can go, I think the more you watch it, the funnier it gets. There's times, I've watched it so many times, but some gags and some lines, you can just hear and you'll just start like ending yourself at them the way that, the way they're delivered. It's, it's brilliant. It's, it's, it's just, it's great television. Like I say, I think the office is a, office is funnier and more of an impact in my life. And I think for that concentrated two series in the Christmas special, it is better. Alan Partridge, I think is better. But I do think if you I do think can understand. I think Peep Show is arguably the best out of the bunch, just because of all these factors. Its longevity, how consistent it is, 
how short and, and this 22 minutes where everything, there's not there's no filler in it. You know, it's just all 100% prime beef fillet steak, but jokes instead of meat. <laughs> you know what I mean? Absolutely, yeah. Because I'd say The Office maybe had more of a heart to it and there was more of an arc to sort of people's stories. There's no heart, and, there's no heart to Peep Show. That's, 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 part, that's part of its beauty, almost. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's pure laughter, one-liners, jokes, uh, anxiety it's nothing there, there's no real let up or any of that or anytime you feel good i think when we go into talk about this series i think there's only one moment uh, that i might mention later where i feel that there was maybe even t- kind of a uh, heartwarming it, like the tiniest little bit of heartwarming and just so people know uh, at home listening to this this is going to be a nine episode series maybe 10 i'm looking for 10 because i want to do an awards show at the end as we're going to do some categories at the end of each show uh, things like best scene, uh, best reoccurring character, etc. But the idea is we'll go, we'll deep dive into each and every season, uh, and each podcast will represent one season in the show. Obviously, people at home will know who've watched this that it was quite unique, as Telfer touched on earlier, talking about the sort of point of view camera work, which sounded really interesting to me when they were talking about they had cameras on their head. Yeah. And people were, and they were filming each scene multiple times from multiple different angles, which I thought really speaks to the the professionalism and how good people are that are constantly doing that. It must be so awkward doing these sort of like outstanding sort of comedy set pieces when there's a guy in front of you with a with a camera on his head. Mm-hmm. But Andy, how did you feel? How did that make you feel when you first watched it? Was it uncomfortable for you? Because I know that's sort of been reported over the years. It's amazing where an LNER train will take you. While on board this office, free Wi-Fi is available. And send. Emails cleared. May we remind you that this cafe delivers drinks and snacks straight to your seat. Just order through your phone. Don't mind if I do. Travelling at 125 miles per hour, this library will have you back with your family in no time. So enjoy some me time while you can. Book your train to Edinburgh, Leeds, London and Newcastle at lner.co.uk. We all know a bet can go either way. It's part of the game. That's why at William Hill, we offer you the right tools to help you stay in control. You can set your own deposit limits or take time out whenever you want to. So you and your mates get to keep it fun always. Stay in control of the way you play with William Hill. Gamble responsibly. 18 plus begambleaware.org. Yeah, it's a bit jarring, I suppose, to start with because you're only seeing it from... You You very rarely see both characters at the same time. It's only ever if there's a kind of third character in there that you sometimes see the two of them together. So it's very much you see, you know, close-ups of, of Mark and Jay's and everyone else and you see kind of folk kissing and you... So, so there is a bit of it that's quite jarring and there's a wee bit of it almost takes you out of it that you're kind of interested in how they do it initially. Um, I think... The more you watch it, the less you kind of think about that, and you can just appreciate it for for what it is as a, a kind of drama and a comedy. But initially, there's definitely a bit of oh, how did they do that? You know, how how did this happen? How did they manage to get this shot? You know, uh, when it's like Mark in the mirror, for instance, how did they manage to get that without showing the the, the camera? So there's a wee bit of it that. It, slightly detracted from it in the first place because you're you're just kind of interested in the, the, the technical side of it to a degree but after a while that that goes away i think the other thing is the the monologue obviously and the fact that the 
you're hearing what the characters are thinking, which you don't really get in any other drama or comedy or any, or any other type of show or film particularly. Um, you know, you get that a lot in books, so there's there's a, a real link to books in that sense that you obviously hear a lot of the, or read a lot of um, internal monologue, but you don't get it in TV shows. And I think what it did do was it, it kind of humanised otherwise insane characters. Like, I think if you just watched Jez and Mark from the outside, if you were kind of doing it as a third-person <laughs> view, they would be utterly insane. Um, but because you get that that third, uh, the, the, the kind of inner monologue of it, it makes them. It makes their actions a bit more understandable. So, and there is also some believable stuff in there. There was uh, there's a kind of episode towards the end where Mark thinks he's maybe getting into the friend zone with Sophie, and there's there's moments along the way where it does at least give some justification for, or at least in their head, for for what they're doing, um, which I think was a, a really smart idea. Yeah, because it's an amazing comedy vehicle being able to hear what. Uh, people are saying and it allows for so many jokes that would seem so unrealistic if they were constantly blurting out some of these things like when they're telling each other to fuck off in their in their inner monologue or something that wouldn't work it wouldn't be realistic people don't act like that at work so but it allows for that joke to happen and the show still to retain some some realism which i think's spectacular for what i was reading uh, they they sort of based that on being john malkovich the film they sort of, sort of they said that's where they got the idea from uh, for that inner monologue, but the point of view they done that is a way it was to way standing out. Um, David Mitchell commenting that it was a way of standing out from sort of men behaving badly or spaced uh, as sitcoms, and he thought it gave it a, a, a sort of special look. Yeah, you, I think I think you're right there, Tony. I think you can see the the lineage for Peep Show. It's like the this, uh, almost like a spiritual successor of of men behaving badly. It does it sort of combines like the best bits of men behaving badly and the best bits of space, and that you've got two guys like two guys who are, who are losers or not losers. I can't remember men behaving badly if they were losers. Neil Morrissey's character yeah. was certainly certainly a bit of a bit of a chump, um, and he fantasizes about the the, the neighbour, the beautiful neighbour, very similar in this episode. But I've in this series, in fact, to uh, Jeremy's fixation with Tony, the the, the next door neighbour. So, so there are parallels there, and spaced as well. In fact, just guys sitting around in a sofa and 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 sometimes doing drugs, which happens quite a lot in in uh, in Peep Show. I think as well that the first series. I, I don't know if you're going to come on to this, Tony. So forgive me if I'm treading. No, your please, toes, please carry on. The, the first series really feels like a bit of an outlier compared to the compared to the subsequent uh, series. I think. The most obvious one is the the theme music. They they, they changed in series two to Harvey Danger. I think, uh, and you can hear actually. I think there's a scene in episode three where they go bowling, yeah. where, where Mark takes the that goes on a date with the uh, uh, Valerie, the teenage <laughs> goth. They go bowling, and you can hear the the Harvey Danger song playing in the background. But I think that really skeevy, skeevy, seedy electronic music really suits it. And I think I, I, I prefer this theme music to the music it, it replaced it with. I know obviously the, the, the subsequent theme music, the Harvey Danger song, is a bit more iconic. But that... Yeah. That really feels... That really feels more peep show. And I know it got that the wee elements of that got used um, when they moved from different scenes. Subsequently got... But that suited it better. And I think as well, where this is different, the... 
the as you mentioned there, Tony, they they had cameras fixed to people's heads. I think that became difficult for them to use. So in subsequent series, he switched it to just filming directly over someone's mm. shoulder. Um, and I think there's use of flashbacks in this and, and remembering previous conversations, mm. which doesn't happen in, in subsequent series. There's a bit where Jeremy uh, asks Mark, did you make the move on Sophie? And he says, yeah, and it flashes to uh, a scene. It's like where, where the camera is pointing down on them in a filing corridor in JLB. Yeah. And you don't know whose point of view is, is that, that downward shot coming from? And, it, and so, so in that aspect is a bit of an, a bit of an outlier. Um, and I do think, so just to finish my point, that, that the first episode of Series 2, which the guys are going to come up with, which people, other people are going to talk about, is Dance Class, the one with rainbow rhythms. Mm-hmm. And I do think that is the, the first genuinely brilliant Peep Show episode. I don't think there are any 10 out of 10 episodes in Series 1. I think they come later, but I do think that this really sets a lot of the groundwork, a lot of very, very well, sets groundwork very well for uh, for subsequent um, episodes and subsequent series. Absolutely, because uh, I actually was noticing, I'm going to find my, my notes just now, but there's actually almost like lesser versions of scenes in the first season that lead on and, and are used um, in in future series, like the whole pepper spray and mental health thing that um, is used in, I think it's episode five uh, with yes. Tony when they, when they go there. That's sort of regularly used. Um, are you going to do me in? Uh, the, sorry, over the lager. That's again. I don't. I don't want to talk too much about the scene. This the scenes that this proceeds yeah. in future series. Cause I don't want to take that away for the guys. But people who are listening will will know. I mean, Jez Wankin will create a full scenario in his head. Uh, he does that in this season when he when he finds sort of Mark's sort of geeky sort of Dungeons and Dragons type type magazine and smashing the mug. Uh, it's Sophie and and. Yes. In the in the episode because she's decided to split up with them even though they they weren't they weren't all anywhere together and even sort of um, super hands actually almost planting the seed about spiking Mark's drink in one of the episodes in this series when 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 he when he's when Jez is scared that super hands is going to have to move in because Mark's away <laughs> so in terms of like even more than just setting the groundwork there's I, I, I'd be really interested to know if the if that was pre-planned or if it just happened by mistake but I did notice after watching it again and I've seen so much of it so many times that there seem to be so many not repeated scenes but almost um, as I said the seed planting of what of sort of more grandiose maybe over the top scenes that come in the future but I think that's the right way to do it because it needs to build up to that you need to get to know the characters to accept these sort of weird and wonderful situations they get into in future series, if you do that at the start, it means like that is ridiculous. I don't know these guys well enough. How are they? How are they already in these scenarios? But once I get to know them through season one, I can totally buy where they are going to where they're going to end up in the future. I think. Yeah. There's. I was just going to say there's a, there's a degree of heavy handedness about some of the character setting in, in this one. So we hear a lot about Mark in World War. Too, especially uh, like a lot, and it's it's obviously uh, a feature over the the rest of the series, and you know he dresses <laughs> dresses up as a and that's in one of the episodes, but <laughs> the the it's kind of in, in some ways it's slightly hitting you over the head with it. It's, it is making it as clear as possible that um, you know Mark likes 
World War Two, and the jazz is a bit flexible in terms of his sexuality, and he's quite, you know, his, his sexuality is quite fluid, and that he likes drugs, and he's not a particularly good musician, um, and that Mark's hopeless with chatting to women. You know, it's all it, it's done in a relatively heavy-handed way, but I think. As you said, Tony, it sets that groundwork for the series going on. That from from basically the first episode, you've got a really clear yeah. idea of who these guys are. It might it might be a wee bit uh, cartoonish at the, in the first episode, and it and it kind of smooths it a wee bit after that. But I don't think it was cartoonish. I think the I thought that the the, the first episode I think might be one of the best ones out the out the first series. I think that the first two scenes perfectly set up Jeremy and Mark because the first one I mean it kicks off with Jeremy dancing to this is outrageous this is contagious <laughs> absolutely garbage it rips off um, Firestarter it's, yeah. a, it's a rip off like no future <laughs> and, uh, and, he's, and he's dancing and he's, he's imagining himself getting a tattoo of, of his face on his chest and that is this guy's just an arsehole that's Jer- Jeremy's an arsehole um uh, like just a, a fantasist, a dreamer, a egocentric, like a convinced of his own. He's a sort of guy who, who's convinced of his own self worth, but doesn't want to do the hard work to get himself there. And that's that's summed up like like just throughout the whole throughout the whole episode and throughout the rest of the series. And then you've got Mark chasing that out in this bus to, to get his Sophie. And I'm sure that the first like the, the, like the one of the funniest things is, yes, I am the Lord of the Bus, said he. <laughs> when, when he sits down and, and that's that really, really good at setting him up as like a, a loser, um, someone who has these, again, grand visions of himself. And it's, it's just from, from those two seats, I think you get a really good idea of the of, of who these characters are and, and what they do. And then, of course, Mark gets off the bus and he's getting bullied by a bunch of 11-year-olds. Which is sort of like how, our first... How do you our, get your shirt so clean? Yeah, and that's like our first look at, like, but, sort of like the, the running theme. Like, of all good sitcoms, if you like, that there's always almost a running joke that goes through the whole thing, sort of like Curb Your Enthusiasm, stuff stuff like that. Uh, and that's the one with the, with the kids uh, calling them. I love that idea. Those kids must have loved being asked to do that that scene. They're going to trap me and their brothers will hack me to. I see, can I have a bit Here, of Here, look, you can. Oh, look, he's a pedo! Yeah, a pedo, you You're not a pedo. You're definitely not a pedo. Because it looks like they'd be having the time of their life. It's, it seems so realistic of like the kind of thing that would happen if you got off a bus and they, they, they find someone with the headphones on. And Mark, David Mitchell, he, he's, such, he's got such a good look. Yes. His character. It's, it's almost the fact perfect. his eyes, his eyes are pitch black. Yeah. As well, that really feeds in. He's got that horrendous cow's lick as well. <laughs> the clothes that they give him, he, he wears awful clothes. Like they, they both wear horrendous clothes throughout, but, but David Mitchell's like, he's got that. I mean, he must be what, late 20s, early 30s when they first start. That's the idea. I might be 20 somethings. Yeah, I think that's the so, plan. And he looks like a weekend dad. <laughs> that's 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 the look that he gives off. Is he's wearing sort of V-neck uh, jumpers with with a shirt underneath it. That's his, that's his casual wear. Um, aye, so it's it's, it's very uh, you, you get a real clear idea of who these characters are uh, very early on, and and the motivations behind them as well. The whole like you know the expression desire is about the the wanting, not the having. I think that that perfectly sums up a lot of Mark's motivations. He wants something but he doesn't know what to do when he gets it or if he gets it. 
Yeah, because that, that sort of leads back to what I was talking about, about uh, the people he meets, he doesn't know, he doesn't actually know if he wants some, he doesn't know even know what he wants. He just, everything's just designed and it speaks to the anxieties you hear all the way through it. Everything's just about what society or what his dad wants or anything like that. He, doesn't, he doesn't actually seem to have any sort of real hopes and dreams that, that matter to him, maybe apart from in the future, maybe the bloody clarinet or something. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, Andy, obviously in, in Warren Factions, you see, um, sort of meeting Mark and Jess for the first time. What was your first um, sort of thoughts about Sophie? When first, because out of all the characters, she probably changes the most dramatically over the over the <laughs> of the of the series. Sorry, I'm just thinking. Sorry, Andy, I'm just thinking. Like I know, like skipping ahead, but but I'm sure the very last scene with Sophie, she's drunk and she's been buried in a ball pit. And yeah. I <laughs> I think in a way, actually, and uh, they'll go into it in, in later series, I think Sophie's maybe a wee bit underserved towards the end. Uh, I think she kind of just becomes a bit uh, too unpleasant, maybe, if that's possible. But I, I think I think she, this first, the first few series in this series, she strikes quite a nice balance between she's clearly not that bothered about Mark, uh, but at the same time is, is pretty polite and, and generally seems pretty nice and is, is largely shot upon by, by Mark for the, the vast majority of it. And I think she, she, she does a really, it, it's, it's a bit of a balancing act that, which I don't think always works towards the, the end of the show. But in the first series, certainly, I think she she comes across, if anyone's a kind of likeable-ish character, Sophie is is probably about it. I think all the things that she maybe does that upset Mark all seem fairly understandable, I think, in the first She stiffs him, though. She stiffs him for the job, for that promotion. That's true. But, but again, but it makes sort of sense in terms of, it's not really been her that's made that decision. Obviously, she's applied for it and stuff, but but she would be allowed to. You know, it's just it's an assumption from Mark that it's just between him and Jeff. So she's not really done anything wrong. I think I think a character maybe honest, becomes a wee bit wee bit more cartoonish, is it? Or not cartoonish? A bit more of a caricature or a bit meaner as it as it goes along. But um, but certainly here, I think I think it's really good. And in, in, uh, I think. Like she thinks she, she she lets Mark off with a lot of stuff. I mean, a lot of stuff, and she does yeah. that over all the all the series. But even things like in this one, I really like the the bit where where Mark puts his hand in the bus seat and she kind of sits on it, and he's like, I probably should move my hand away now, but if I move my hand now, it's going to look really obvious that it's there, uh, which is it's just kind of really nicely judged thing anyway. Uh, but the fact that she she notices it, but never seems to bring it into the next meeting with him. Um, so I, I think I, I like her in this series. She, she, I think you know she gives Johnson a hard time, probably quite rightly. She comes across, <laughs> I think, as the most normal, likable person in this series. Obviously, and you, you can understand why Mark likes her, I would say. Which I think is important for going on, obviously. I, I'd, I'd, I'd probably... There, 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 yes, I'd say, I'd say that's one of the problems with Peep Show is that in the whole series, like the, the all, not just series one, I don't think there are really any likeable characters in it other than Dobby, maybe, who mm -hmm. doesn't come into it until, until series five. I think everyone throughout it is driven by their own sort of like their own vanity and their own their own ego and their own machination and stuff and I do think that's the case with Sophie there there's that scene with uh, with with Johnson where Sophie says I'm gonna I'll pick you up in the morning we're at the conference I'll pick you up in the morning 
It's brilliant. The car just, the, the wee, horrible wee Nissan Micra driving by and Jeff's face is pressed <laughs> up in the window. <laughs> and there's that, and obviously there's an explanation to go along with it. And she, she stiffs him for the for the job and mm. she, you know, so she she knows how, how Mark likes about her. And I suppose, that's what I'm trying to say, she, she allows her to, makes herself available towards him. And then when he see, thinks that that's a good chance to kick on, she sort of pulls that away from him. Mm-hmm. And, I, and so I don't necessarily think that's fair, but I suppose it's, it's a real, there's not really many, I think she's she's the best of a bad bunch. I think by the time that he proposes, it's, it's very clear that she's not the right person, I think, and no. that they're not well matched at all. I suppose the thing with this series is that you get the sense that they, they could be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you're right with all that stuff. That she, She's definitely not as enthusiastic about it uh, as as Marcus and that she she does stuff him in a few things but I think I think it's important in that first series I think that Mark that, that she looks like that could be a proper relationship and that it's not a completely failed experiment straight from the off um, from uh, from Mark you know what's where what, it obviously what, becomes very apparent later on. I think it works very well a lot of these shows like I'm trying to think like like Frasier for instance when Niles and Daphne got together, the, the, the show lost a lot of, of, of what made it special. You know, that sort of will they, won't they uh, sort of dynamic. And when Mark and Sophie eventually get together, it doesn't lose any of that. I think that, that's certainly in Peepshow's credit. And, and further down the line, I remember when Mark, uh, Mark and Sophie have the, the baby together, little Ian. I remember at the time thinking when, when Sophie's pregnant, that think, fuck, this is, this is going to suck. They're going to bring a kid in. How's the dynamic going to work? Little Ian's barely mentioned in it, which was, which was so great. You actually forget that, that I suppose that's how, how much of a deadbeat Mark is, that, that Ian's almost an afterthought in it. But I do think, think that, 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 her, that their relationship, that's the sort of the, the driving force that, 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 that carries throughout the series. And I think it's certainly a lot stronger than um, Jeremy lusting after Tony. Instance. Although we do we do begin in, in episode one with both of them basically lusting <laughs> over Tony. So because Mark sort of has this idea of he has to play a long game for Tony, but he gets so I'm um, sorry for Sophie, but um, when he hears about the opportunity to maybe have a fuck buddy that Jeremy sort of explains that's, to him. You know something that's the sort of thing. It sounds it sounds really skeevy, but I think that's something that perhaps people can relate to. Is that idea? It's like well. If you if you're if you if you are in love with someone and you're, you're fantasizing and you think they're the one, you, you might that opportunity might not necessarily be available to them. So you think, well, I'm still like want to consider attractive. I still like want to have sex. So you can perhaps explore. It's like signing uh, signing someone on loan. <laughs> keep, keep the terrace, they keep the terrace in, in a football chat. It's like it's like you've got a prearranged transfer. I like that's not happening for for two years. You still need a goalkeeper. You need to sign someone on loan. For the for, for the time being, I, th- I think you also, uh, you know, when you're you're that age that we were when we were watching it the first time round, uh, where you're you're competing with your mates, or, or or you think you're competing with your mates for the affections of uh, a girl. I think that's a pretty standard thing at university. You know, you've got the same party and both like the same person, and inevitably neither of you get off of them, and some other cooler guy does. So that that's so Andy. 
there's a really there's a bit that, that really ties into that. That that sort of it's it's horrible and it shouldn't be that case, but that, that competitive element about mm-hmm. about sex and sexuality. There's a great bit there. It's the episode when they go to the, the party and, and, and we mentioned there about Mark uh, going away with the, the teenage goth Valerie. But when they're in the supermarket together at the start of the episode and Jeremy's proposing they go to a party, he says like, I haven't had my wild oats in two weeks. And it cuts them ahead nine months and 13 days. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's all that, that playing up to, uh, ch- ch- trying to play up to that. So yeah, I c- c- 100% agree with your point. So we come, uh, going back to episode one. Uh, so sort of the main crux of the, the story is they end up going to the party, uh, to Tony's party and that sort of competing. And Jeremy ends up meeting sort of one of our sort of individual characters that comes into the show, which is Tony's sort of half-sister, Paula. And yeah. we have the sort of classic situation of mistaken identity. And Jeremy, who we see sort of Jeremy kind of at his worst, almost instantly in the first one, that he's, he, he isn't bothered by her when he's talking to her. He's like humming away. Uh, and we see, again, that, that's, another, that's another scene that's sort of used again in the future when he meets the Orgazoid. Uh, it's exactly the same thing. And then suddenly he, he hears that she's got something to do with the music business. And suddenly his his heart goes, and he and he, he's suddenly so interested in her, and then they they go next door. So, what was your feelings of Paula? Because I've got a few things to say about. What what do you think about her, Telfer? I mean, Paula's only in two episodes, isn't she? She comes back at the start of series five, the episode "Burgling," where they go on a double date, and she tells Jeremy that she's got chlamydia, <laughs> and he's like, "Well, nobody minds if the Invisible Man comes to dinner." <laughs> no, Paula's good. I can I can see. I think in in that first episode, she is knowing she's got much of a character. She's basically there to set up the joke. It's, it's actually quite well done. It's like the, that long-standing joke about Jeremy, like Mark going to Jeremy to look for the name of a like a Chinese doctor who had helped somebody who 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 had leukemia. Long story. It ends up with with Jeremy putting bacon and pot and sausages in his bed with the word Judas. It's all, it's all, it's all I'm talking about. Omerta Rewenge. You know, and so it's that. In terms of that, I don't think that she has much of a character. I just do think that that she is set up to basically point out the the, the vanity, Jeremy's vanity. But that she's, no she also she also shows vanity because when he says to her, she's so brave. She's so brave. She starts like bargaining off some absolute nonsense about uh, or. Uh, what was what is it she says? Oh, I, I can't. Acid jazz is it? Marketing yeah, acid jazz like, I just I don't listen to what people tell me and all this garbage. <laughs> like, like sort of like just so self-serving. And it is it's just another. It's giving you that first peek that pretty much every single person who comes into this okay. is, no a, is an arsehole. Even this girl who uh, is maybe just trying to get her end away. She even he she comes across as an arsehole in that. Um, right, like so. Episode two. We come on to sort of what's our what's our opening gambit in episode two. Sorry, I'm looking through my notes and I've got too many, which is what happens sometimes <laughs> we do this. So it's the interview, and we come across that sort of ongoing faction that sort of Jeremy can't get, can't can't pay the rent. He's relying on one big hit song to to carry him through, and it's going to pay for everything. And so sort of Mark forces him to go as a as a clerical assistant at his work which he refuses and then you get that inner monologue from the two of them where one's talking one about being a freeloader another one making him fucking fill out forms at his breakfast um so like that interview scene how did you how did you find that andrew because that's sort of like a quite a big scene in the show yeah uh i think i think it's 
It's one where it's quite interesting because again it has the the sort of bit with um, what's his face uh, the guy that's his uh, rival. Of my my brain is totally gone. Jeff, Jeff yes. Uh, um, it has a wee it has a wee moment with Jeff where uh, it just I, I think every moment that Jeff's in in his needle and mark is just very fair. I mean Jeff doesn't do anything else in the whole series uh, other than just be an annoying wee guy to uh, to Mark, but that's quite nice. And then um, yeah, it, it, it's just another kind of case of. And I, 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 I think Mark's supposed to come across initially as like, well, he's obviously this office guy, but he, he doesn't come across <laughs> well at all. Um, he he, um, he has a kind of, uh, I don't know, he's just not, I don't know, he's just not great. He doesn't seem normal, I think, compared to the to the other people uh, in the show that are that are kind of secondary or, or, or third tertiary characters. Um and I think, sorry, uh, Andy, to tie in with that, I think that, yeah. you know, to go back to Frasier, Frasier one of the, thing, the funny things about Frasier as well was Niles' wife, Neres, and she, you never saw her. Like, Niles would only talk about her. You know, he would only mention her in passing, and I'm sure that in, in, in Frasier, they were, they were actually going to have someone play Neres, but because of the way she'd been described, it was decided it'd be better just not to show her at all. And I think that it's like, it's similar to that with um, Mark's father. Now, Mark's father's in, in series six. So series seven, I'm sure it is, where he comes for Christmas. And, and he is, I know that people will come on, he is the very worst character in it. But a lot of the stuff there, he gets mentioned a few times in Mark's monologue. And and you can understand like why Mark the way he is for this like horrendous upbringing and this the Führer, aye the Führer. That's it. That's it. When he's doing the, when he's doing the, 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 the he's doing the word association. Aye, the word association. Father Führer, <laughs> football. <Yeah. laughs> um, so I, I do think that that that's who he is. But but I mean with, with Jeremy, I think the feeling like of of things aren't fair. Like Jeremy, Jeremy's staying, staying with me. He doesn't pay any rent. I've got the chance to give him a job. He's not taking it seriously. It's not fair. But it's all the sort of stuff that's of his own making. Yeah, yeah absolutely. He he invites Jeremy to stay because obviously the first the process of this this the, the show is that Jeremy is split up with Big Sue's. I quite like that idea is that we hear about Big Sue's. You get that at the start of one of the I think it is the interview episode where Mark sort of debating about how you should get dressed which sort of is sort of mark all over <laughs> and then jeremy sort of just walks out completely naked and pishes all over the <laughs> all over the bathroom um, and that sort of shows them and again maybe goes back to what andy was talking about earlier about the the heavy handedness and i think it's important to do that because you were saying earlier about the heavy handedness of the concept i think that's hammed up more i think with it with the cameras on their head everything's even closer even closer and they, so they go and that's sort of absolutely perfect and he and he thought so and then we meet super hands um as they're debating their band uh which had numerous names over the series but it seems that this one it's set upon as the <laughs> as the hair blair bunch. <laughs> <laughs> mama's come quote Mama's kumquat, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but we see the sort of differences between that to be between them at all times, and then, uh, but like episode three on the pool, this is one of the. I think. So, sorry, Tony. Can I say before before we get to episode three that uh, uh, we'll probably come to it, but I think the best scene in that episode is the is the voicemail 
Uh, oh Mark god! Oh, yeah, god, I can't believe I missed out. Sorry. Unbelievably yeah. cringy, and there's so many elements to it as well. It goes on for so long. I think we've all done it when we've kind of been on, had to do a voicemail, and it we just spend far too long talking. Sophie, uh, if you heard that, please ignore it. I, I'm not a racist. Far from it. Uh, anyway, uh, uh, it's uh, good to hear your voice. I, I know it's only a recording, but you have got a bloody nice voice. And <laughs> God, uh, I just called up to say hi, and then, uh, then I go and spoil it all by saying something stupid like, I like you. I mean, not that. But uh, anyway, I noticed that the paper in the in the photocopy here is running a bit low. So I know it's not really your job, but uh, well, you know. So uh, see you tomorrow. Fuck! 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 Oh fuck! Oh my God! Jesus! I've really fucked it, haven't I? Have I fucked it? Maybe it was charming. It was the behaviour of an oddball. It, it's, the, 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 there's a bit of um, a peep show that's brilliant and uh, that a lot of comedies obviously do well likes of um, Curb Your Enthusiasm it's just the kind of social awkwardness side of things and that's probably the, for me that's the best social awkwardness part in the whole first series is just he just has no idea what he's doing and he just gets more and more awkward and it's just sort of, you're watching it with your, your uh, hands over your eyes. It's, but I think Je- Jeremy sometimes like, fuck! And then yeah, yeah. just fuck to each other. He try, yeah, because yeah, Jeremy sometimes normally tries to sort of, even though they sort of don't like each other a lot of time, he tries to protect them from himself about these sort of cringy <laughs> moments all the time. But even that one is so bad. As the, the voicemail is going on, Jeremy's face becomes more and more contorted in horror yeah. what he's uh, what he's listening to. And that also allows for a really brilliant scene when Mark goes to meet Sophie for the first time after doing it and he's sort of standing behind the barrier of the office and then uh, he actually gets confident somehow out of it. Uh, out of all that, suddenly you see the bit of confidence from it. Uh, I like you and if you can't handle it, then you can well just fuck off. Uh, and then <laughs> I you think see- I can handle you liking me, Mark. Yeah, and then you see that and, and this is a, another ongoing theme that sometimes... You get that peek behind the mark where he does have a bit of something about him, maybe a bit of backbone. Uh, and you see Sophie actually quite likes that. And uh, and that's sort of like one of the first things where you can see that she's maybe even slightly impressed by Mark. But then that all comes tumbling down for him because as he goes away thinking everything's fine, he walks into the lift uh, and Jeff just starts singing the song to him. And that's another time that Sophie lies to him because she told him that... Uh, he, she didn't tell anyone uh, about the fact that he sent that voicemail. But how could you not tell someone? Let's be, <laughs> let's be frank. Um, right. So as the episode three, um, so on the pool, uh, I think uh, you were talking about this being an outlier for the rest of the rest of the whole series, uh, tell for like the, the actual whole show. But I do think it starts to ramp up. Maybe just uh, maybe episode four, in fairness, where it all starts to get a, that little bit more wackier and sort of comes towards more like the peep show that we know over the rest of it. But as you see in this one, I'm starting to get the feeling when I was watching it now that, right, so this is constantly just going to be about their terrible, tougher women. That's going to be the concept of every single episode. And this one where Mark and Jez meet and there's a meeting at the, at the supermarket and then Jez, again, this example I was talking about earlier, forces Mark to go to a party because it's Friday night, 
people should go to parties and Mark sort of retorts to that about, well, it's the best time to go to the shops because uh, it's quiet because everyone else is essentially out living his life. Uh, he doesn't really see the, the sort of the irony in, in, in him saying that. Uh, and then they go to the party and that's sort of like one of my favourite scenes is just Mark turning up to like a pretty heavy house party with quite a lot of people with his entire weekly shop. He's got eye. Another that bit where he's trying to put the frozen food in the freezer to stop it from, from spoiling. Either some. I think this. This is. I think this might have been the strongest episode of the of the first one. Certainly, yeah. the, the, the one of the most memorable. There's a. There's something like how quite quite sweet, I'd say, in a way that his relationship with Valerie. I thought that was actually was really nice the bit where she's talking about her brother he's like nah, that's my brother he's a, he's a fucking dickhead I wish he was dead we are like, the mods oh, we know? are the mods we are we are we are the mods yeah these guys there's a bit in it what did you say to I should ask him for your, your uh, uh, get his bone marrow off him that's supposed to hurt like hell and she laughs at it and he's, there's a bit of sort of look in his face like ah, there's someone who kind of gets my sense of humour which is which is quite uh, quite sweet because, yeah, because Mark is sort of like, one of his biggest issues really is that he's, he's sharp, he's witty when you hear his inner monologue. And that's sort of what makes you grow to, because even though he's got anxiety and stuff, he's a really smart guy and he knows, he, you kind of hear that he does know the difference between right and wrong a lot of the time. And he's got more of a choice in it than maybe Jeremy. This might be an unfair um, sort of assumption that I'm making, but he's got much more ability to tell the right from wrong. Whereas Jeremy, I think, is just so mm-hmm. so far gone. It That's doesn't what really probably understand. makes a lot of his actions, Tony. I think that probably what makes, I think, Mark Corrigan is a sociopath yes, as, as it goes further on. And I think that's what makes um, all the, makes a lot of his actions is that the further that it goes into series two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, that makes a lot more questionable. I think, fuck, this guy is a real bad guy. Piece mm-hmm. of work, guy. Uh, and then in, in the series, so then they decide, to, in this episode, sorry, they decide to... So Jeremy is trying to pull this other girl, and as we see, another the two girls just think he's an absolute moron uh, as he does this stupid dance around them. And then they go, <laughs> and then they end up going to Laser Bowl. Uh, and so Jeremy forces his way in and gets Tony to come with him. But I thought that whole scene at Laser Bowl was really great when Sophie walks in and he's sort of having, he's having a really good time with Valerie. They're sort of she's throwing the, the ball under him. We're seeing Mark finally loosen up maybe for the first time in the, in, in the, whole, seat, in the whole show by this point. Uh, and then as she's throwing a ball under his legs, getting eight pins, Sophie walks in and he's like, oh, fuck. And that, that, there'll be people in the world who watch that and can relate to the fact of being caught red-handed by a work colleague doing something at the weekend that you probably shouldn't be doing. <laughs> <laughs> like being on a date with arguably a 17-year-old. I might even be being quite kind there in terms of how because she's meant to be sixth form college, isn't she, Valerie? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No college. Yeah, it is. Uh, but then Valerie shows how little backbone Mark has uh, around that series because Je- Jeff is always having barbs at him and he has barbs at, uh, at Valerie at that point, but she sticks up for herself and almost sticks up for Mark. So... It actually makes, even though it's like one scene where Jeff gets a tiny bit of comeuppance, which happens a few times over the show, it's still no comeuppance for Mark. He needs a teenage girl to sort of defend his honour in front of Jeff. Well, the, fact that, the fact of the matter is that, that when he, he starts throwing his shopping down, down the aisle, it's Jeff that bails him out. He's just like, you know, just put it all in my credit card. And that's, that's really, that is really um, demasculating. Emasculating, yeah. emasculating for him. And he, and he also, yeah, and also that one, he has the argument with Sophie at the bar. 
Uh, uh, but he finds out that she go, they went to Pizza Hut and stuff yeah. like that. So it's all, <laughs> and they have that immaculate. So it's, 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 you're probably right. It's a, probably one of the strongest episodes in it. You've got the scene inside the, inside the bathroom where he sort of gets a blowback of a, of a teenager in a, <laughs> in a cubicle. Uh, surrounded by, so it's, 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 it's pretty good television at this point. So, yeah. you know, there's that many bits that you want to talk about, like the bit where he goes into the cabinet and he's like looking through, oh, psoriasis. He's like, it was, he's talking about, oh, there's a thing, I can't remember, says, or it's like, or thrush if you're being glamorous. But this sort of like cream. And then there's a bit at the end as well when she, when, the, when he eventually has sex with Valerie and he's worried about his, his like his, his misshapen ball bag seems to be a, a theme throughout the episode. And she starts strangling him. Um, because our ex-boyfriend used to like it. There's that, there's that many good bits, I suppose. You just have to, to motor on through it because we're here all day just talking about all the various little bits that work so yeah, well. Yeah, because they, they have to listen to sort of, um, Jez and Tony sort of having the fake sex next door because Tony's trying <laughs> to get back it. Is her husband also called Tony? That's right. Yeah. Eh? Yes, I think so, yeah. yeah. They, yeah. they remarry in the second episode of the series. I like... No, sorry, I was just going to say, I like the, the Jez and Tony stuff uh, in this one. There, there's a wee bit more of it. The, the first couple of episodes, it feels a bit one-sided in terms of uh, Jeremy's just kind of going after Tony. Uh, it, it doesn't really, it, there's not much else to it, but in this one, you get more of a sense of the fact that he actually finds her quite annoying the whole stuff about uh, peter gabriel <laughs> <laughs> and then and then obviously the fact that she's got this weird relationship with uh, with her, her husband uh, so it kind of turns it on its head a wee bit and he's still sort of interested but not really for any reason other than other than to have sex and it's uh, it it does make it a wee bit more of an interesting uh, relationship that one because it's not all quite as uh, quite as one-sided as it had been yeah, and that's probably the first time we see jeremy in what becomes sort of a classic part of every series uh, being in a really awkward sort of sexual situation yeah. as her has as tony's husband sort of just wandering around the house as tony sort of screams louder and louder about having sex. So we missed it in the first one, uh, the second episode, but there's so much good stuff that happens in Tony's flat during this season. I love it when she forces Mark to go out to get the bottles of red wine and then he comes back and then uh, Jeremy comes in complaining about him. Oh. Not getting Why it. don't you? I think it's time you boys fuck but, off. Now. Yeah, that's yeah. Just, that's that's like, guy's got two lines in the whole thing. One where he says we're running a bit of dry and then telling this, that, just the way he puts his hand in Jeremy's shoulder yeah. and just sort of like, just very gently scores. I think it's time you boys fuck off. Oh, that's absolutely, absolutely brilliant. Right, so now we get the sort of special moment for everyone. I imagine along with Superhands, Johnson is the sort of people's sort of favourite sort of uh, extra character, if you like. And in episode four, Mark makes a friend. We see, sorry, Johnson's introduced to us almost instantly, uh, talking to Mark, calling him a piece of shit, or I, I don't know, I can't remember the exact quote. <laughs> got, Johnson's got one of my favourite lines in, in the whole thing. It's right at the very end, like, where, I don't care if skipping along the episode, but where, he, where Jeremy tells Johnson that Mark's in love with him, and he's watching a gay porno, and he sticks on it, and Johnson, the way Johnson's face, the horror, like, I'm a businessman. That's what I do. That's who I am. <laughs> like Parson Joseph, the actor, it just his delivery for a lot for a lot of John's lines, the way that he pours over the syllables, the way they the way they, they tumble out of his mouth, there's like almost like a quite a feeling quality 
to it. I, I don't know what what I mean, but it's just just the, yeah. the way the way that Patterson Joseph talks is just so brilliantly realised as as Johnson. Like it's just it's a it's a tremendous performance from it, and I think it's a lot of it's down to delivery. The way the words curdle not cur- curdle is the wrong word curl out of his mouth. There's just there's some sort of real. He's got eye. I, I don't know what I mean. Yeah. But, no, I, I, I know exactly what you mean. It, it's interesting though because I think there, there's almost a clash, but in, in a, it works really well. But between his his delivery and how the character is almost written, because the the way that the character seems to be written in, in broad brush strokes, it's like it's like Clarkson. Uh, I mean, he's got like the the driving gloves. He listens to the most white music ever, like the Top Loader and Lighthouse Family. He's, he's only inter- he was interested in cars and spreadsheets and Chinese. It's like the he's, he's kind of the most Clarkson man possible, but um, it's given like this extra uh, kind of depth to the character, uh, and it and it does make it interesting. Also, then there's the there's the added thing that they can put in about the the fact that uh, sort of. Mark feels like he's getting some sort of extra bonuses out of this from the fact that he's got a black friend. But um, but yeah, I think it, it, there's it's almost a contrast between the the, the how it's played and how it's written. But it, it does work kind of perfectly within it. It's just it's just such a great character. So when and of course it, so it sets up the rivalry as well. It sets up yeah. that between. Um, Jeremy and Johnson, which becomes an ongoing thing as the as the season as the series progresses, like as it, as it goes on. Obviously, the the uh, big Sue's element comes into mm-hmm. and when uh, Jeremy tries to pimp her out and so on. But that when they're watching the news and and, and uh, Jeremy, you know, not an intellect, but he's talking. To, I go, I'm Palestine, Mark's Israel. You know, just that that Johnson's uh, sort of revulsion that, that Jeremy like doesn't like what turns it over when the when the news is on. It's, um, it's, it, it, it does it it does actually show it's it's the it's the one episode. It's the same and there's really Johnson in it. It's the one time you actually think that Mark and Jeremy actually have some sort of proper relationship uh, as a or a friendship, I suppose, because yeah, you know, stuff like the the Palestine Israel thing that for all that they're both kind of completely opposite. They do have some sort of bond there, which isn't really the case with Johnson. Johnson's all very superficial, but underneath uh, all the crap that the, the two of them do together and, and say to each other, there is some sort of bond of friendship just about keeping things together. They, they, I think they have some kind of similar sense yeah, of humour or something in there. That, that, that you're, you're right in terms of, and that's really brought into sharp foes. This is miles ahead, but in the first episode of Series 9, when Jerry has moved in and is staying in the room and he wants to watch the William Morris documentaries and the Ruskin documentaries. And it's like, the pair of them, like, they really need each other. You know, it's this sort of really warped, horrible, twisted friendship. But somehow for the pair of them, it works. And that is, that's really brought in sharp focus when this outlier comes in, this this guy who's, Jerry's probably quite a nice guy. You know, he's like, he describes himself as the rebound brothers. Boy, boy, boy. That comes in. And I think that's the, when Johnson comes into the flat, you can see how that dynamic between them works in, in, in some sort of daft way. And uh, so Johnson's able to scene steal almost in every scene he's in, especially in this one. Uh, and also, even when he's not there, the idea of him comes out in, in this in this in this episode. 
uh, you find obviously that I love the quote again when you're talking about the Tony Blair bit where he goes spending more on schools and hospitals what schools what hospitals where <laughs> where the heck are they uh, and it's sort of like and it's sort of like the beauty of this show and I was thinking about this later it's the the concept of it with the handheld stuff when it's looking at them is sometimes I was worried about doing this podcast about uh, the quotes some of them the quotes they need the context like they're not actually there's not that many jokes and Johnson's sort of like the perfect one for it again like just the way he says it I can mm-hmm. you can never ever do it justice if you describe Johnson to someone and you describe the quotes to someone you can never ever do it justice and he's almost stealing every single scene and this obviously when Mark get ends up in his beamer uh, driving it around and sort of Jeremy Jeremy sort of say what do you guys talk about that on cigarillos and he, he sort of try <laughs> Jeremy's sort of able to convince Mark I thought it was absolutely brilliant again this idea of sort of Jeremy pushing Mark to give things a go otherwise Mark will never do anything but this is such a bad idea uh, for him to get in behind his sort of soon to be or new boss uh, is brand new Beamer who's built a, some sort of friendship with quite quickly that could be quite uh, fruitful for him in a sort of professional sense uh, and he manages to get him in and I love the, the bit where he drives forward when he sees Sophie in the car and you think he's not going to be able to break and so that's setting up that whole joke but then that actually doesn't come there but then the joke comes in as he reverses away so you think that it's like there's build up to that joke and it's like it sort of fakies you a few times and then it sort oh, of carries on. How do I, uh, the pedal. How, how do I do stopping? The pedal. No, 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 the middle one, the middle one! Blimey, Mark, when did you... What, this old banger? Right, yeah. And it's not an old banger, though, is it, Mark? It's a brand-new Beamer. Yeah, and you'd probably like a spin, but we're just tooling around town. You know, it's a guy thing. Right, yeah. Uh, mate, are you sure you're all right, too? It's cool, Jez. See you around, Soph. Johnson's Beamer. Alan Johnson's Beamer. <laughs> Do you think he's going to mind? I mean, I think it's possible he might mind. Alan Johnson's Beamer. <laughs> 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 and Mark sort of trying to act cool in front of Sophie, but even Sophie doesn't buy it. She's like, ah. Well, it's not an old bagger, is it, Mark? It's a brand new Beamer. Uh, not even like... mentioned the fact he's grown that horrible little moustache in his pot lip to try and copy him. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, he's so obsessed. And that's like, again, like I said, the idea of people is more to him. It's just, he suddenly, he's able to convince himself that he might be gay. He's never had any gay feelings ever. But it shows how little relationships he has with people. That the fact he maybe has a friend uh, that isn't Jeremy. Uh, for what, but it seems like the first time that, oh, because I'm friends with him and because I look up to him, it means that I might want to have sexual relations with him. He doesn't have the concept that that might not be the case. The weird thing about the episode, and I didn't find it that funny, um, was the sort of where, where Jeremy, the fact it's, it's quite funny, but the bad thing, like the, the Superhands and Jeremy got up to, where, where he's trying to, they have a really mad night, and he's trying to piece together what happened, and it turns out the bad thing was um, that, that they gave, him and Superhands gave each other blowjobs, didn't find that that funny. I did though think the idea of Superhands moving in, been really funny, and about our super hands lying in Mark's bed smoking a cigarette, and Jeremy's got the the ashtray, like like he's he's holding it underneath him to, and he's walking after him like spraying air freshener yeah. around them. And I think that that ties in. That I think this is probably the episode 
that sums up their uh, their relationship is that they really need each other. Like the idea that, that Jeremy is like a free spirit. He needs to be tethered. He can't live with um, someone like Supans. He needs Mark for that, that ballast and that stability. Because he'll get easily led, easily led away. Right, so episode five, Jeremy... Gets a job at uh, so it's super. So his first ever job, and it never really sort of sounds like he's getting paid or anything for it. It's really just <laughs> su- super hand. So it gives him a gives him a role. So so he can basically so he can do what he wants. It's like because you see, like this is when you see that obviously Jeremy's relationship with super hands in this one is. Quite superficial as well. They they both like taking drugs. They like hanging out. They like music, uh, bad music or whatever. But with how um, quickly Superhand stiffs him with Tony, it isn't like that. It's like they, they meet and he's instantly trying to click. He's instantly trying to pull it. It's the first thing that comes to his mind, and that shows that even their relationship isn't actually built on anything oh, yeah. real. Jeremy, see that thing you're working on? It's gone again. <laughs> <laughs> I fixed it twice. I thought this was this was perhaps the the, the more absurd. The thing that this one didn't work as well for me because it was yeah. I mean there's still funny moments, but the idea was absurd that the, the whole strangers in a train thing where they'll to get the work together to to take out super hands, but also work together to take out. Um, Jeff yeah. and they end up getting shot in the face with a BB gun and uh, they both end up getting pepper sprayed. I mean, it's funny. It's just it's that sort of idea. It's just a wee bit, uh, it's, it's a wee bit too uh, ridiculous. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think this is the the worst of all the episodes of the first series, I think. I think uh, for that reason, it does slightly almost jump the shark with the with that doesn't doesn't quite it's it's almost kind of believable but it is, it is a wee bit too silly and then uh yeah i think i think the the bit with mark and the psychiatrist is is good and i think that's quite uh interesting kind of fun writing there uh, their scenes when mark does the rorschach test and comes up with all these different things and then yeah he's got the, the fewer line um but yeah, I don't. I, I don't find this is the, this is the episode I, I probably like the least. I, I think there was the even the stuff with kind of Jeremy and the the music studio. Uh, the bit with Super Hands and uh, Tony at the start's nice, but then after that, I'm not too bothered about it. Uh, it's I, I think it's probably the most disposable one of the of the lot. Yeah, because I mean Mark's Mark I mean Mark effectively as a breakdown stops going into work, and I, I, that's the thing I think for for Mark Corrigan's character. Throughout the whole thing, he never really gives off that vibe. Other than that episode, he never really gives off the vibe that he would have a breakdown. He's just the sort of guy that, I mean, you know the expression, the straw that breaks the camel's back. I don't think there is any straws with someone like Mark Corgan. It's the entire weight of the world just keeps on pressing down on top of him, but there's never any breaking point because he's just like a, a total uh, a total drone in that regard. And that, when he comes back to work, I mean, it's that see episode six. It's not really mentioned, again, that, that he did have a... He did have a breakdown, so aye, it's, it's still there are some funny moments in it, but it's probably perhaps the weakest in terms maybe of the, the whole the whole series actually. I, I was thinking yeah. that maybe the weakest of the whole show um, yeah. in, in general, because uh, the, the so as you're saying, the narrative doesn't work really that well. It just seems like a completely random episode that doesn't really work with the rest. And Mark uh, and as you said, Mark, they they don't seem to mention it again, and that's it. it really doesn't suit Mark's character because no matter what, he would he would go to work 
Um, yes. I mean, he, he even goes to work when his wedding sort of collapses. He's back at work quite quickly. And, uh, and he goes to, he's, he's sick. He's got that, that conference in Frankfurt and he's... Yeah. He says go to it in a, in a, in a later series. series. So, like, you know, that gets absolutely not bad. But maybe the idea of it is that he's forced to take time off work. That's what I thought. So I thought it was working. But then when Sophie comes round near the end uh, to sort of see if he's all right, she says, you've not been in in ages. So because my, my concept of it was mm. he's been, the work's told them that his behaviour is clearly like uh, like abnormal so he's been requested to go to see a therapist about it all uh, and then that's so my idea was that he's been told to take time off to, to get over it to get basically get over Sophie getting the job because obviously he's recently barged into the restaurant um, to, to sort of give them the idea about rerouting the fucking phones terrible idea <laughs> yeah, terrible. Yeah, yeah. so everyone just has to work forever uh, it mentions yeah. nothing you need to hire like a, an entire new workforce to do it I mean it would cost an absolute yeah. fortune mean, unless everyone it, like you is willing to work 24 hours a day as long as they get a pat on the back for Johnson yeah. well, you... oh, he, he was a bit ahead of the curve to be fair because all that's happened is folk have just been given work phones so he's, he, he, he was a bit ahead of the curve that was as bad, <laughs> bad idea as he thought it just, they just needed the extra phones I thought it was I thought it was Olivia Coleman's best episode or, or I think she was the best person in that episode actually um, I think uh, yeah it wasn't uh, Mark was maybe the, the, the peeing in the desk and everything it felt a wee bit jarring but I thought I thought Olivia Coleman played that uh, you know, they're getting the promotion and it's seeming like a wee bit of a, oh, I can't believe I've got this sort of thing when she's applied for it. And then seeming, uh, kind of known Mark's a bit annoyed, but not really doing too much about it. I, th- I thought I thought she played that kind of really nicely that whole episode. But yeah, otherwise I thought, not not the best. Yeah, because when he pisses on all the stuff, I think that's great. Even though I do like the scene where he gets caught in the in the bathroom hanging <laughs> it up, and you get that inner monologue. Oh, what are you going? Oh, 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 the police saw oh, my 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 papers being crinkled. Oh, you can't get done for that. Uh, so I thought it sets up quite a good job. But no, I agree. The pissing on it, I just just because you get overturned, you wouldn't go like a guy like Mark isn't instantly going to go without anyone's support or Jer- like Jeremy doesn't tell him to do it. Nobody, t- he just goes off his own back yeah. to piss all over the office. Uh, like again. I don't think enough. There's not enough legwork being done to allow for that, mm-hmm. uh, for me to believe that that scene could be comprehended. But as I no. say, it still has some humour in it. Uh, and obviously we're introduced to that whole mental health thing uh, for Mark that has a huge, uh, basically an entire episode in a, in a future series. Right, the final episode yeah. is Funeral, um, but- which is Uncle Ray. Jesse's Uncle Ray is terminally ill and that sort of opens doors for for both um, Mark and Jeremy to for 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 some romance you know, options. I think this, I this this is perhaps one of the. I mean, the, where Jeremy is genuinely grieving for his uncle Ray. That's probably the, like the probably one of the most touching uh, moments of the show. But I think this is perhaps one of the most cynical episodes. The fact that Mark tries to use the death of Jeremy's uncle to leverage some sort of romantic feeling within Sophie. I, I just thought this. Jeremy is does me- the same with Tony, though. Jeremy like, does the same with Tony. Aye, he ends up getting a getting a, a hand job for her, which a crying she's hand job. Talking yeah. about our talking about our dad. There's a great scene in it where she talks about our, our dad dying when she was three, and her date turns up at the door and says, "Guy is like late fifties. I don't have any issues whatsoever with this." And this this, this old guy turns up. Um, but I I thought that I, the, the sadness with um, with. Uh, with Jeremy, it's just it's just the episode with, with Superhands is like like I'm forgetting if this is the episode like 
you're one of my best mates. Can you tell me of, of my, uh, no, my bottom half? I, I, I expected that. I was waiting for that, but I, I found, because I saw it. That's the Gwen. That's the Gwen episode. Yeah, that's the one in the future. Because that's, that's an absolutely brilliant, that's an absolutely brilliant line uh, yeah. as well. For as somebody super. who knows me, as someone who knows me really well, <laughs> my bottom half on fire. He takes acid or mushrooms at a funeral to, to up the tension <laughs> of a funeral. I don't think any, I mean, Sophie obviously go, going with Mark, there's that kind of, that sweetness and there is obviously that connection between them, but he misinterpreted, I, I, that's, that's why I'm, I'm about Sophie's characters because she knows, she's been told that, that Mark likes her and how else would you interpret that if, if you're going with someone and they finally do like kiss you and you, you have sex with them, you might assume that it might lead on to something else and for her to sort of like just pull away as, as quickly as I can. That's a, that's but maybe bit, she uh, pulls yeah. away due to the havoc of that trip. Uh, away. Oh, so that's a fair point. I was fucking unhinged. That. <laughs> yeah, got, uh, so like, like, like so that's sort of like that's something you have to remember for something like someone like Sophie because they try to paint her as quite sweet and normal. And uh, although she sort of, as Andy was talking about earlier, doesn't always really respond to the badness around her. She sort of just brushes it off a bit. Uh, there would be sometimes when you get time alone uh, and you've. Uh, his pals tried to pull you and then they think he's committing suicide and nearly gets his stomach pumped. Uh, fake, gets a fake stomach <laughs> pumping that he doesn't need uh, uh, that might put you off thinking that this is a sensible relationship and the fact that the first time you were meant to be going away, he brings a sort of depressed pal uh, with him. And that, the extreme romance. Um, it's a, it's, uh, sorry, I was just going to say, it's a, that, that episode's a rare episode where... Uh, Jez does something that doesn't yeah. come back to bite him in the arse. Like the 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 speech at the um, at the funeral, you think, oh no, you're 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 kind of terrified about where this is going. It's kind of going to be another voicemail scenario, but actually, it, it all goes very well, and he gets a round of applause, and actually looks, you know, he, he is nice in that. Like he genuinely seems to be grieving, and he, he, he although he's trying to stir things up because he doesn't like. Um, the, the relative that's speaking oh, sorry, is it? Yeah, yeah, or something, is it? yeah. Um, so, he, so he's kind of doing it slightly out of badness, but it actually is making a making a good point. And then it, nothing, it doesn't really come back to bite him in the arse at any point. He, he, he does he, he, in the in the pub afterwards. He's just milking it really. So it, there's a bit where he obviously <laughs> looks quite quite insincere. To God, <laughs> they're all doing. He's yeah. drinking the yard of ale. They're all chatting. Uh, yeah, because that's what I was talking about at the start when I was saying it was there was one moment in this entire six episodes. So what two two and a half hours worth of content where there is something remotely heartwarming, and it was sort of Jeremy's speech. But as you've just pointed out there, Andy, there is the sort of subtlety undertone of it is that maybe it is just a vehicle for him to <laughs> abuse his auntie because he didn't really like the shit Christmases that he used to get when he went <laughs> round to our house. Yeah, yeah. But, it, but, it's, but it is rare that he has a kind of real kind of a moment where he's on the up and it doesn't nothing drag you know nothing really drags him back down as as usually happens. So it's it's uh, you kind of enjoy it while that's happening because it doesn't happen very very often. Others, I actually find this episode. I've got a, I I remember almost all sort of peep show episodes more or less. I get the kind of the scenes confuses to to when it happened, but mm-hmm. I could not remember this episode. I mean, I'm I've, the only scene I could remember was the was the nurse scene. 
uh, the, for, of all the episodes, I've never, I can't remember watching one and going, oh, I, I don't remember what happens in this. And I genuinely couldn't remember the funeral bit about it at all, which is, which is really weird. I, I, think, have a, I just think I might agree with you, Andy. That one scene, yeah. I think I had a else. similar thing. Like, it started to kick in when, once it started going, but when it was mentioned that Uncle Ray was there, uh, and then when I watched it, it's a pretty good episode, so mm. I don't know why I would forget. Tony, do you recognise who Uncle Ray is? I, I didn't, know. Uncle Ray is in The Office. Right. He plays one of the, the sort of the background characters who's only in it very, very, uh, a couple of scenes, but you see, if you go and look at Uncle Ray and go and watch, say, for instance, the episode where David Brent's doing the dance for Comic Relief, mm-hmm. Your camera will cut to him, and you'll see him, the sort of the grey-haired guy. I'm sure, uh, you correct me if I'm wrong, but you know the bit where Brent, weirdly enough, ties in with Olivia Coleman's in it, where David Brent's doing the the episode with, um, he's doing the issue of uh, Inside Paper. Mm-hmm. And Olivia, and sorry, she's a journalist that comes in, and he goes, he goes, where were you? And the guy walks by and says, warehouse. Well, you've missed me telling who... Who, who this person is I'm sure that's that guy I'm sure that's a guy so if you have to go back and watch it you'll recognise him well I most I most certainly will Craig because uh, I'm obsessed with it and I'm sure again we've already spoken that we will be introducing the UK office on, onto this show without any sort of doubt and that's one thing that no matter if Fowler if this, Tony, no, even if this is Fowler's business he will not be stopping that happening that's just me and you Tony stripped to the waist head to head <laughs> talking about the office look at that's what people are after <laughs> Um, yeah, so if you go back to, you see Mark when they're at the, the sort of bedside of Uncle Ray. And again, this sort of shows another one where he's able to relate to the people in Jeremy's life uh, sort of in a different way than, than he can. So Uncle Ray, he's because he appreciates the force. Uh, so he's able to instantly get some sort of bond going uh, about the sort of police force. And again, you see that in the future with Jeremy's mum. Brilliant. Uh, yeah, which I don't, I don't want to go into because I don't want to steal other people's stuff. But uh, yeah, like again, you see that Mark's able to connect and Jeremy gets jealous about that during it. But yeah, it's a great, I love that scene at the end. I'm going to nominate, because we'll go into the categories just now. I'm going to nominate uh, that scene in the, in, the, in, the, in the ambulance at the end of that with Jeremy nearly getting his stomach pumped because I just thought it brought together quite a lot of the concepts of the show. So the nurse standing over the top of him saying, how many have you taken? That works so well as a point of view shot uh, from, from Jeremy with the nurse going over them. And obviously Mark being pissed, going through a, a like sort of roller coaster of emotions about being pissed off about making a pass at Sophie, then realizing he's stressed, then realizing he's lied and being go back to pissed off. And then Jeremy nearly getting away with being pissed off at for that because he thinks he took all the tablets and then fucking himself over by saying he didn't take them. Uh, and then ultimately <laughs> at the end, still getting the, still getting his stomach pumped despite not needing it. I think the best scene for me would be as one from the, it's the episode, the interview, the second episode, it's where Mark is taking the lift up on, on the floor and he sees the guy, it's the boy with the shaggy hair, uh, uh, who gets, hey, like you're not allowed to take the first foot, and the guy gets off and starts pretending to limp. Uh, but as he has it in his inner wall, he says, oh, God, I didn't know he was disabled. These people should wear badges. Uh, yeah, good one, Adolf. <laughs> that, uh, that, that, that joke, I think, for me, that was the funniest out the, out the lot of them. And Andy, um, what was your favourite scene? Yeah, my, mine, I think, was the, the party. I think Mark putting the stuff in the, the freezer. <laughs> I, uh, I, I think I, I, there felt a wee bit of that. I, I've been a bit too pragmatic at parties before. And I, I, <laughs> not, not, never done anything quite as sad as that, but uh, the, uh, that 
rung a rung a tragic bell, uh, and then just jazz <laughs> jazz at that party, just dancing like an idiot, uh, and everyone being completely uh, nonplussed with them. Yeah, uh, that was my favourite one. Right, great. Uh, Craig, best quote or best mm. one liner. Best one liner, Jings. I I didn't write any any down, Tony. So I, I, you'd have to forgive me. I'm trying the one that sticks out. That line I mentioned there about like disabled people wearing badges. Mm-hmm. And then, so a good one, Adolf. That's that's something that's always always really f- f- uh, found funny. But, but in terms of delivery, Johnson saying, you know, I'm a businessman. That's who I am. That's what I do. I think it's uh, written as Andy says, written down. It's not that funny. His delivery and just the way the words sort of curl out of his mouth and the the cadence and the the, the pace and the tone of his voice, perfect, perfect. I was like, Andy, what have you got any quotes that you wanted to put yeah, forward? Yeah, so uh, jo- there's the Johnson one that uh, me and my mate used to uh, repeat to each other about the, you know, the, the Chinese and the big fuck off spreadsheets. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so but I, I think it's it's probably between the the um, saying something stupid like I like you or Mark chatting up Tony by telling her about Stalingrad. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't mention that in the opening episode because I had a feeling that would come up at this point. Uh, that, that That's actually one of the best scenes as well because uh, yeah. uh, it's it's so so cringeworthy and just like, him thinking he's going for it and seeing that this would be his chosen style of trying to seal the deal with a woman that he thinks is without using coarse language he thinks she's a she's a slut if you like that's exactly he thinks she'll she'll shag anyone that's the sort of his whole point and then sort of her shutting that down instantly <laughs> and she knows what he thinks and saying i'm not a fucking i'm not a next door fuck jar because uh, she knows exactly if he thinks that he could just start saying basically talking about stalingrad in a way just making his voice softer and holding her hand, it's like, like just like the concept, the mindset of that being like good enough, or something that any anyone would want to hear in a in a sort of sexual capacity is absolutely bonkers, uh, which is great. I've got for some of my quotes, I've got them here. I've got a few written down. Um, I said the one earlier about the schools with, with Johnson. Uh, I'm also a huge fan of, uh, I think it's time for you boys to fuck off. Uh, uh, Again, it doesn't sound like uh, a good quote written down, but Mark asking Sophie if she had a a nice shower or bath. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely wild. Uh, Of course she's ignoring me. I sent her a swastika cartoon. Uh, Again, that sort of realisation. And then some of my favourite parts of this, and there's a quote that I get with with Mark, uh, is... When he's incredulous and he doesn't know what's going on, I always find that brilliant. So when Jeremy starts talking about him wanking over pixies and and then it, it, during that interview and he just turned through the, what does that mean? I literally have no idea what he means. <laughs> and I always think like Mark's really at his best uh, when when he has to do that. Um, so at the last bit, because I know we really need to finish up, uh, your favourite one episode character. Could be Johnson, isn't it? I mean, I know he's recurring, but it's... Uh, you can use that, though. Yeah, that's the sun. Yeah. I'd say that you can have... If it's only one... If he's only in one of the series, and he can also be used in a later date as well. Yeah, he's just... He's just, he so memorable, and that he's just totally inhabits that whole episode. So I think it's, it's good to be him for me. I, I'm going to go for the, the children, the, the child bullies <laughs> who torment Mark throughout that first episode. I just think that it's like, can we get, it's just, can we get, a, can we, I, I, 
some of your juice. And he gives us a car. Oh, pedo. He's a pedo. The delivery's brilliant for the wee guy doing it. And then- getting absolutely destroyed by uh, a bunch of a bunch of kids. Apparently, those kids, they might be the kids that broke into their flat later on. You know, the guy says, I'm looking for Kenny. Yeah. Might be them. Is that a bit of fandom? Is that a bit of fandom? Might be, might be, but I think I like that. I do think that they they are very funny. Like clean shirt is a great like fuck off clean shirt. It's just say so what much. Clean shirt mean you know it's um, like I'm not a man. I'm just I'm just a man. I'm just a man. I'm not, I'm not the butter. I'm just a man. Aye, <laughs> right, great. Uh, yeah, because the clean shirt is uh, so with so little, so very descriptive. Yes. Uh, what does it mean? You don't know what it means, but like, and, that, and that boy's and the wee child's tone of voice, whatever he calls him, a pedo, is absolutely spot on. Yeah. Uh, and your favourite reoccurring character in this? Mine's I've went for Jeff. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I would say yeah, Jeff. Yeah, I, I think so. He's uh, he's very good. Go for uh, uh, Jeff's very good. I think Jeff plays a really important role all the way throughout, just in terms of a, a, a primary antagonist for Mark. But I do think it's Johnson. I know he's only in one episode, but Johnson throughout the whole thing, like I say, Patterson Joseph is just absolutely superb. Uh, 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 doing it and the deliveries, deliveries great. Just a really memorable character. And uh, as I think the thing with Jeff is that you think he's an arsehole at the start, but as I think people might comment on later on, you start to go more, you start to gravitate more to Jeff's <laughs> side uh, yeah, as the yeah. as the show sort of progresses. And the last thing I'm going to do is a likability scale. I'm going to ask everyone to do this. So at the end of this series, who do you like more? Who's done more for you in terms of a human being? Uh, Mark or Jeremy so tell for Mark or Jeremy on the likability scale I think perhaps this is the series I can most relate to Mark uh, I'd say just in terms of that that wanting someone not being able to have it and then like bargaining with yourself making excuses with yourself and just generally just making a total arse of it a lot of the time so I 100% Mark and for you Andy yeah, yeah, I'd agree. I think, uh, apart from the, the peeing in the desk, I think the, the <laughs> true psychopathic nature of Mark's not quite out in the open yet at this point. So Yeah, yeah I, 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 think I think we'll go with that because I think this likability scale is going to tip <laughs> heavily. So we, maybe for, for once, we'll, 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 have, we'll have Mark sort of slightly wait above. To, wait till we get to series nine and we're talking about them uh, putting something in a sleeping bag and putting them in a lift. That's one of my favorite. That, that'll definitely be in this category for the end of my opinion. <laughs> the, the, the scary thing, just before we finish, the scary thing is I'd never, it was only on later rewatches as an older person that I realized how much of a nutcase Mark was. Like, yeah, how, how genuinely terrifying he is. Uh, he is. He is a psychopath. It's like yeah. a sociopath. It's like, I always thought Jeremy was the arsehole. I mean, he yeah. is an arsehole, but Mark is. Mark is He's more of a harmless arsehole. Yes, so he is. Worst person. Mark is a destructive. And I think you, you notice it more as you get older because you're probably more analytical when you watch things. You've got better understanding yeah. of the world than other people in it. Uh, and so Jeremy's much more of an obvious arsehole that you would know yeah. when you're like 17, 18 year old because you're yeah. probably living with people just like it uh, or at least have elements of his personality. Uh, but Mark is something that you come to realise, as you're saying, is he's a, he's a psychopath. But um, thank you very much for listening. That was great fun. Uh, I'm looking forward to doing more of these and sort of seeing how this develops and getting more used to it. And, sort of this, and not, not just on these peep show, but this sort of whole new arm of the, the Terrace Network. Great strong fun. Start. I hope you all enjoyed it. Uh, I think we've made a strong start with that. So I'm, I'm looking forward to listening back to this and then listening to, I know it's a rotating cast of characters that are going to be on the subsequent episodes. I'm delighted that I'm going to be in season five, which I think is by far and away the strongest 
episode of Peep Show. I think that's got some of the best episodes. But aye, good start, man. I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes. We are going to have reoccurring characters in this and we're also going to have new characters. So the beauty of this brand new sort of format and network for the show is we're going to have brand new people coming on that you've never heard of before and some of them barely even have an interest in Scottish football. <laughs> so maybe more people can relate to them when they come on. So uh, thank you very much for listening. Andrew, say goodbye. Goodbye. And Mr. Telfer, good night. Good night. Player. A sailor has been found dead on the Royal Navy submarine HMS Vigil. From the makers of Line of Duty. We have to send the detective out to look into it. How are you with confined spaces? Starring Suran Jones. I think this was a murder. The deeper you go, you're going to let them die. The darker it gets. This is a staggering act of hostility. Vigil. Streaming now on BBC iPlayer and in Ultra HD. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.